and rolling. Hello there, Andy and Zach, back again for another episode of the A to Z No BS Show. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here we are on a rainy Monday evening. It feels weirdly like fall. Like it feels like it's getting dark early and like with the rain. It, to me, it just feels like autumn and it's still August. Yeah. I was even thinking on my way home from my afternoon appointment uh, that it's not going to be too long until it's actually getting dark for real mm. at that 4.35-ish hour. It. Yeah. I hate it so much. Remember we used to, didn't we, we would podcast and be dark out. Yeah, exactly. Like starting the podcast and it was like dark. Yep. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, in other news, we have been chit-chatting a lot about just yeah. the nature of the gym business. We spent a lot of words off air. We did. We did. And I think the fundamental point that is salient to share with listeners is just that the fitness industry is a tricky one, especially when you have a brick and mortar gym, obviously like Andy does, mm. um, because you're, you're obviously somewhat constrained by location and like a lot of service-based businesses, it can be tricky to differentiate yourself because if you're not an expert, if you're not super duper literate in a certain market, uh, it's it's kind of hard to know, like for the lay person, it can be kind of hard to know like what they're in for, what they need, what they don't need. You know, mm. it's like if I need a, you know, it's a classic example of like me going to the car mechanic. The mechanic goes, hey, you need you need to pay 500 bucks for this widget. And this other thing, I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, take my money. Whereas someone like you, Andy, who actually knows a thing or two about an internal combustion engine would be like, get out of here, you're trying to upsell me. Mm. And, and you probably have like trusted mechanics that you go to. Mm -hmm. And because you know a lot about your vehicle, you know what it needs, uh, and you obviously take good care of your vehicles. So... It's kind of like for the average person, they are like me, an ignorant uh, consumer, mm. but of their own body or, or of their own, you know, pursuit of, uh, you know, physical fitness and wellness. So when you run a gym, you oftentimes see a lot of gyms kind of, uh, placating the least common denominator, right? So that's, that's why you see like uh, weight loss challenges, you know, one month weight loss challenges, you know, especially at the beginning of the year, just to drive a bunch of people in. Hmm. Not to say there's anything inherently wrong with that, but you can kind of clearly see like we're just trying to pick like the low-hanging fruit. Right. You know, and uh, nobody's really advertising... <clears throat> at least not advertising on billboards, you know, here's how learning how to squat and deadlift and do a push-up properly can fundamentally change your life. Right. You're not seeing that on a billboard. 
what you are seeing on a billboard is Planet Fitness's big thumbs up, $10 a month. Right. I fear we're going to tangent already. This is, tr this is tricky because on the one hand, I understand um, human nature as far as like marketing and, you know, things that like trigger emotions and things like that as far as like, oh, I want to look like that or I want to be able to do X, Y, Z or whatever. One thing I've been noticing a lot over the years, let me back up. When I was getting my master's degree, one of my classes that I had was um, just a, like a research review class. So we'd read all these giant research articles. We'd have like eight a week that we had to read. And then once a week on like a Wednesday, we would all come together and talk about what the study said, what the, the strengths and limitations of the study were, you know, study size, you know, p-values, all that stuff. Talk about research. And the one thing that stood out to me a lot, often, was how very little exercise one needs in order to um, drastically reduce like health risk, like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, certain cancers, dyslipidemia, hypertension, all these different diseases and comorbidities or whatever around obesity, for example, could be significantly reduced by about 30 minutes of walking every day. And this happened every week, roughly 30 minutes of physical activity, moderate physical activity a day, or about 150 minutes a week of moderate physical activity, moderate physical activity. You know, reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease by 40%. Reduce your risk of dyslipidemia by 40%. Reduce your risk of certain cancers by 40%. And every single time, I was like, why is it so simple? And yet, the general public either doesn't know or doesn't care or doesn't engage. To bring this back to sort of the conversation that we're having right now, I think sometimes the fitness industry creates more barriers to entry than it needs to. So I'm not trying to save the world or the United States in terms of obesity, like overweight obesity rates, cardiovascular disease. I can't. But what I can do is be an agent of change and demonstrate to people what minimal effective dose they need to improve their body composition, get a little stronger, move better, feel better, you know, outside of this whole, like, burning calories, lose 30 pounds, be in, you know, bikini body ready for summer, like, I, those are the conversations you and I are having, like, at the gym on Saturday. We want to be bikini body ready by summer. But the general public, the public at large, you know, I don't know. On the one hand, the marketing side of it's like, well... If that gets you through the doors, then maybe that's a good thing. But at the same time, are we creating more barriers so that people are not becoming physically active? Or the hill is just too big to climb when we should be like, hey, go for a walk a few days a week. Come work out, like strength train a couple times a week. And you're going to check a lot of boxes for like health, 
So, I don't know. I'm trying to simplify things in my own space. To be like, well, we're just going to do some bare minimum basics and have a good time in the hopes that we can really move the needle in a, like a significant way, but it feels like we're not. Yep. Yep. Well, to provide uh, a little bit of context without letting any sort of cats out of any sort of bags that, you know, probably doesn't really matter in the long run anyway. But um, the this whole conversational line of... Um, like buying out gym businesses mm. is a topic of conversation that occasionally comes up and came up like today. So um, when you're a mover and shaker like Andy Van in Nashville, people come up to you with all sorts of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, opportunities and propositions mm. to take over like different businesses and whatnot. And that is always kind of a fun like thought experiment like what would i do with this business what could i do with such and such gym or whatever but in andy's case he's already got you know a thriving business and community that he's kind of built quite literally with his name on it mm. and scaling that to a different degree where it's maybe not your name on the door and you have to like do things a little bit different in order to satisfy a certain bottom line that, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother game that um, someone like Andy and myself may not really want to participate in. Because at a certain point in time, um, if your fingerprint isn't on the workout, if your fingerprint isn't on the coaching, um, unless you have a dynamite staff of employees and coaches that you know that you can really trust to provide the service, um, it's it's kind of a weird bargain that you're having to strike, mm. and that's I think what a lot of gym owners end up that that is a bargain that a lot of gym owners end up having to strike, where it's just like their main priority has to be getting people in through the door. Right. Because it has to be their priority because they have to satisfy this big bottom line. Right. You know, actually having gym owners, business owners um, invest in their coaches from a coaching skill side of things is quite rare. Mm. At least from what I have seen. You go into business to make money, right? So, so I've heard. So I've heard. I'm, I'm still waiting for that part. I'm, yeah, you go into business to make money. It's a weird concept to think about because I think you and I both engaged in coaching because we liked helping people. And I'll speak, I'll speak for myself. I started coaching people because I, needed, I had bills to pay, so I needed a job. And then as I got into it, I very much enjoyed doing the day-to-day. -day like, I enjoy coaching. I do. I enjoy hanging out with people, showing them how to deadlift, showing them how to squat. I love it. It's my favorite part of the day. But I still have to, the business has to make money. I have to make money because I have bills. I have a mortgage. I have a kid on the way or whatever. So, like, 
I guess in a weird way, I've never liked or I've never business air quotes business has always made me feel icky because I feel like it severs that relationship building the mm-hmm. the you know being in like involved with or hanging out with like clients being friendly with them going to like I don't know recitals going to games or whatever like enjoying that camaraderie enjoying that that personal connection and then being like oh well also I have to make money this business makes money it's a weird dichotomy to me I don't but I'm coming around to the idea that it's not a mutually exclusive thing I can help people and I can also run a business that makes money and profits or whatever and allows me to do stuff with my personal life. Yeah. But it's always a tricky little mind thing to be like, oh yeah, I'm making some money off of Something coaching. that you would do for free anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If I won the lottery, that whatever billion lottery, I think I would do the exact same thing. I just wouldn't charge for it. As, as we talked about a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, without going down the rabbit hole of the yin and yang reciprocal uh, relationship with investment. Right. Um which could take up the rest of the hour. Um, all, all this to say, um, I, I think it's always a fun thought experiment when you're in business for yourself, just to imagine what it would be like if you were in another business owner's shoes. Mm. Or, you know, what, what could or, sh- you know, what could I do with that gym? What should such and such do? with that gym over there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I can speak for myself. And I think I can speak for you as well, especially after all the details that we talked out, that we're, we are truly playing to our greatest strengths hmm. in this context that we are currently in. Um, there's always room for improvement. There's always ways that we can do better and and help more people and that whole thing. But I think our zone of expertise, what we are, how we are best equipped to serve, not even just ourselves, but like the fitness market as a whole is in the respective ways that we are currently doing, Hmm. you know? So it was like, you know, as, as just an example, like, Um, if Andy were to take over a big gym, his, his biggest value would probably be to educate the staff to be better coaches. Hmm. And so my whole follow-up point was, well, maybe that just means that you should start your own coaching, coaching consulting company. And, and thus was born the new A to Z <laughs> consulting company. <laughs> right. So, so again, you can see how the, the most important question to, uh, it's, it's just, it just goes to show the importance of really getting down to the nitty gritty of what, like, uh, like what, what questions really mean or, or asking why. It's, it's the old cliche thing is you ask why three to five times and, and you get down to the nitty gritty details. And oftentimes you find that, um, 
the answer is a lot more simple than than you think. So I think that's always fun to just know that there are like opportunities out there. Like we have we're blessed to like live in America where, you know, especially in the business sector, there's so many opportunities, so many things can there's so many things that could be at your at your doorstep if you're willing to uh, you know put in the work and all that stuff. But at the same time, um, this whole entrepreneurship uh, attitude that has come into vogue over the recent years kind of preaches this idea that you can be like all things hmm. to everybody all the time. And maybe some people can. But I think for most of us, we would do best to double down on our strengths and get real, real with ourselves on how we can, how we can just maximize those things that we are already predisposed to be good at, things that are already our strengths, mm. and to fill out the rest with other people. Having, you know, again, that's why having a, a, a team. This podcast is a great example. I do a lot of the technical stuff because it's what I like to do. And I'm not bad at it. I'm hesitant to say that I'm good at it. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's just, that's just a, a, a thing that's important to keep in mind. And when I think of like the best decisions that I've made, uh, professionally, it's usually come down. It's it's has usually come down to um, reinvesting and doubling down on the things that I am naturally good and strong at, hmm. and capitalizing on those strengths. Because ultimately, I think, especially in this day and age, um, that is what's going to set you apart. Mm-hmm. And especially in fitness, when up and coming trainers are exposed to TikTok and Instagram, they see all these things and they probably feel pressured to do the popular things, the things that are getting likes, chase vanity metrics, uh, chase the latest and greatest. And that could lead you down a fruitful path, but you really have to take a hard look at like what are your actual hard or soft skills um, that will serve you for a lifetime. And these are the sometimes hard conversations that you have to have with yourself because hmm. you can't be everything. So if, if you can only be one or two things, what are those one or two things going to be? Hmm. And if you can figure that out, I think you set yourself up for a long, fruitful career. And all that whole that all that spiel to say that I feel very blessed that I think I found that, and I feel very much the same way about you, Andy. That I think you have found your zone of expertise and integrity, and where you can do like the most good. And um, yeah, that's why. That's, that's a big reason why you're on this podcast. I just thrive being a generalist, dude. You're a generalist in a way, but you're also very specific in 
in the actual uh, service that you provide, you know? Because you're not a running coach. No. You're not an Olympic lifting coach. No. You're not a CrossFit guy. No. You're not a hardcore bodybuilder. No. You're not a big diet, nutrition guy. Nah. You're not like out here counting people's macros. Nah. You're, you're you. Come lift weights and make animal noises. That's it. And when you step into your gym, you know, piece by piece, you're making, you're making it, you're putting your personality more and more, quite literally, onto the walls of the gym. Speaking of personality and onto the walls, I was targeted by Instagram for a neon sign company. And I started designing my own make animal noises neon sign through this company. I may end up doing it for that big, that big blank space in the middle of my white wall. I think I'm going to do that at some point. It was not, it wasn't terribly expensive, but it wasn't cheap. And I have other priorities for the, for the, for the gym. A giant neon sign that says make animal noises is not a high priority, but it should be, it'd be really cool. If I had fun designing it, if money was no object, what animal would you have in neon? With the sign, I don't. Def- well, a I wouldn't, but b for the sake of this conversation piece, the, when you first asked me, the first animal that came to my mind was a, of all things a koala. <laughs> okay, and I don't think koalas make a lot of noise. <laughs> what if it was a sloth? <laughs> make sloth noises make sloth noises just move like a sloth as slow like as slow as molasses that would be funny i like that yeah that yeah, checks out it's all on brand yeah i don't know the first thing i thought of was a koala bear um a i i can see a piece of artwork in your gym that would be a sloth uh hanging from a squat rack maybe There's a sloth. No, I think it would just be face down on a bench. Okay, I like that too. Just taking a little snooze. I like (laughs) that too. Rest break between his bench press sets. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about... Back pain? Let's talk about back pain. Oh, man. Specifically low back pain and stiffness and soreness, um, which was a question that was posed to me on uh, Instagram Q&A, uh, what to, how to address what to do about low back pain, stiffness, soreness, specifically that seems to be brought on by back squats and deadlifts. Do you want to go first? Uh, after you, good sir. Um, let me get this out of the way. Please do. Pain is multifactorial, and Zach and I are not physical therapists. We're a couple meatheads that like to lift and squat. So if you're experiencing some back pain, you should not take advice from two bros on a podcast, and you should go seek treatment with a a qualified physical therapist if you are having persistent low back pain. So let's just get that out of the way that you and I are not diagnosing anything right now. We're just 
casually talking about our own experiences with back pain after back squats and deadlifts. So there's that. Um, I don't think you'll disagree with me. On I was going to say, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, disclaimer. Disclaimer. Thank yeah. you for getting that out of the way. Uh, you would be maybe not surprised at how often I, like people, I'll give them my own personal like experience and they don't take it for like medical advice, but they're like, oh yeah, no. And I'm like, please, for the love of God, if you're having some issues, seek a professional in like physical therapy. Like, don't yeah. be asking me. I don't know. I don't know why your back hurts. It could have been the deadlifts. I don't know. You could have been doing yard work for eight hours on Sunday. I have no idea. So, like, I, I don't yeah. know why your back hurts. It, it's been wild putting out my Tib Fib break recovery videos out on YouTube. That's gotten more comments than anything else I've ever put out. And it's people, A, I mean, obviously sharing their leg break stories. Sure. Um, but then B, just asking me all sorts of medical and physical therapy related sure. questions. And it's like, listen, I'm just out here sharing my story, what I did. I, look, you broke your leg. Yeah. Get off of YouTube and ask your doctor. Right. Thank you. <laughs> right. Very succinctly, that's exactly what, what I'm saying over here. Um, all right. Low back pain. Um, it took me a long time. I've been having or had been having a very persistent low back ache that was like between my like left side sacrum kind of at a diagonal towards my lumbar spine, like that little triangle right there or whatever for like forever. I mean, for a long time, as long as I could remember it, it's like a, a, a low level persistent ache and um, when I was lifting, when I was actually doing squats and deadlifts or single leg, this or that or whatever, it didn't hurt. It felt fine. It was only like the next day or the next few days that I would feel this like persistent ache. And I finally did like tweak my back and you'll kind of laugh that I, I did it. I went looking for that pain. I like reached across my body funny away from like that spot and my back went and I, yeah, I was in a lot of pain for a few days. Ever since then, two things. The first is I have almost exclusively quit deadlifting. Now, I know I can like imagine the pitchforks right now. I, you know, I tore my bicep deadlifting, which was a one-off crazy thing that happened a year and a half ago. Um, but I had been dead trying to pull on Dez again after my arm felt good. I, I was going back to deadlifting, you know, like trying to work through it and figure it out. My back was hurting all the time. And so I stopped for a, just a moment. I was like, let's just see what happens if I don't deadlift. Now I still Romanian deadlift, which sounds counterintuitive, but I guess what I'm getting at or what I'm finding is that there's some exercises that the way that I execute them exacerbate this issue. If I don't do deadlifts and when I cleaned up a specific like single leg, because even like a rear foot elevated split squat would sometimes do it. So what I did, rear foot elevated and a reverse lunge. When I cleaned up, when I quit deadlifting and just did Romanian deadlifts and I cleaned up my technique on rear foot elevated splits and reverse lunges, that back pain went away. Um, I should add, I also did this other thing where um, 
at least with like the single leg stuff, like uh, rear foot elevated or reverse lunges. Um, I'll say rear foot elevated. I gave myself a break between legs. Historically, I've always done left leg, right leg, mm-hmm. like all reps, all reps, just like straight into it. And I'm, what I think is happening is that as I get tired, that fatigue, my body's probably moving and squirming in ways I didn't know it was moving and squirming, and my back would hurt. So when I would take like a full 60 seconds between left leg and right leg and like slowed the tempo, really kind of honed in the technique, slowed things down a little bit, my back pain abated. It's not always gone. I was feeling a little bit today, but we front squatted Saturday, so that wasn't unusual. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those things, like two things. The first is check your ego. Three, a couple things. Check your ego. Um eliminate potentially problematic exercises, at least for a short period of time to see what happens um, and slow down a little bit. You know, I think I have, or historically have had kind of a, a tempo about how I like to do things. And I, it's a conscious effort to slow myself down. But I think now that I have that low back pain, that persistent low back pain has gone away. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been my experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I will. I will echo that and to say that deadlifts don't have to be off the floor, especially not all the time. Mm-hmm. So, Romanian style deadlift is, I guess you could say, like technically like a partial range of motion deadlift. Sure. So, you know your your hips aren't going. Yeah, obviously depends on your. Uh, build and your height and all that stuff but um, oftentimes you're at your like most flexed like lowest hip deepest range of motion maybe in some even tiny amount of lumbar flexion deadlifting off the floor Mm -hmm. so if you can clean that up and just do something like a romanian deadlift uh, or even kettlebell swing that that could be the unlock it could just be that you know for whatever reason, um, those last few inches of range of motion just uh, aren't appropriate mm-hmm. for you, at least not to lift like super heavy. So there's that. Um, there's also some, yeah, it's it's very hard to describe, so I, I, I hate to even kind of like bring it up, but there are some foot uh, like stance positions and like ways that you uh, maybe could bring your um, adductors more into play with your hip hinging and your squatting that could stabilize uh, your pelvis in in a better way. Um, that might be the subject for like an actual like hands-on uh, YouTube video. But all that to say, um, just finding new and novel and obviously intense ways of um, getting a good mind muscle connection with your hamstrings Hmm. you know if you're deadlifting off the floor and you don't feel your hamstrings at all but you feel your low back a lot well then that is you know that kind of all checks out Hmm. so it could be worth like experimenting with technique and stance to like get more of your hamstrings and potentially even like your adductors into the game and that goes with squats uh as well um what i actually linked to on Instagram when I answered this question on the internet 
was just the importance of, excuse me, was the importance of getting your upper back set up nice and tight, specifically in the back squat. Mm. Well, and really in the deadlift as well. But I think like your, your lats and your shoulder position um, is oftentimes an overlooked part of uh, lower body lifting technique, mm. squats and deadlifts. So really getting tight under the barbell when you're back squatting um, is huge. So like pulling your shoulder blades, um, you know, somewhat together, at least in the sense of like uh, giving your upper T-spine a lot of good engagement and stiffness mm -hmm. that obviously is sitting on top of a stiff and stable core. Those all go a long way. Mm. So core, tra you know, core engagement, core training, upper back training, upper back engagement, um, that, that all goes a, a super long way. So yeah, I, I would say those are some, some strong places to start. And, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking to your point, Andy, about just like taking your time and not rushing through, uh, like through your sets and reps, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's like it, it could, I've often seen this with certain clients. It's like, if we do eight reps of fill in the blank exercise, they're like textbook. Perfect. Hmm. But by the time you get to 10 and 12, things start squirming around. Mm -hmm. And so it could be that like your eight to 10 reps, you could do all day and are perfect, but maybe for ego or maybe because of maybe some amount of technique breakdown that you're not even realizing when fatigue starts to set in, mm -hmm. maybe it's those last couple reps that are giving you issue. So experimenting with like cutting your volume, you know, if you have like a, you know, if you're doing like, uh, three sets of 10 on any given exercise, well, maybe try cutting that down to, uh, six reps per set and just adding, you know, I don't know how that math shakes out, but adding another couple sets, um, to fill out that volume. You're really bad at this math thing, buddy. Uh, yeah, I'm really bad. What's what's three times uh, ten? Thirty. And so six by five or five by six, based on what you're just saying. Oh, is thirty? Yeah. Oh, so, there we go. Buddy. So there you go. Just add two more sets of six. Buddy. Um, to to um, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up. One thing that I do with a lot of my clients, especially if we are going to get heavy-ish, this blanket feels nice. It's a nice blanket. Yeah, man. My mom got me that blanket after I broke my leg. No, oh, well, it's a very comfortable blanket. It's very yeah. soft. Um, what is this material? Uh, you'd have to check the tag on that. Oh, I should know this. All right. Anyway, um, one thing that I've been doing with a lot of my clients, if we're getting like a little more aggressive with their squat or their deadlift or their bench, um, and this is another thing, it's, this is in line, is do an audit of what your ramp sets look like. Like, mm. for, let's take, for example, let's say you're going to squat or uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's say, let's say squat, for example, 300 pounds, 305 pounds, whatever, whatever makes sense. 300 pounds for a double or triple for the first warm up set with the bar, probably 10 reps for the 95 pounds, maybe 10 reps, 135, I don't know, five, 185, three. 
you know, 205 or 225, three. You know, I've seen this happen, and I don't know if you've done this or if you've seen this or if you've coached this, but when we start ramping up, especially to like when we got a ways to go, I don't want to waste going back to your fatigue thing i don't want to waste energy and resources on warm-up on ramp sets i don't need to see 10 at 225 and 10 at 275 i just need to see a couple let's just get used to that change like give me a double how to feel let's add tens give me a double add tens give me a double just to get used to the weight change get used to the load change but not nearly enough to like use up resources for those heavy doubles or heavy triples that we're going for. Um, and that can be for any like air quotes, heavy set that you're doing. Like look at what your ramp sets look like. Why are you doing eight reps at like 70%? If that's not your working weight, like do three or four. Yeah. You know, you like, and, and to your point, technique is probably still crisp, right? So your technique is crisp. You feel good. You leave some in the tank for the next thing. Like we're not burning up like resources on submax sets. So do an audit of what those ramp sets look like. And if you're burning out five, eight, ten reps at submax weights on your way up to something really heavy, cut all that volume in half and leave a little bit in the tank for later. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's it's always funny, uh, especially working with new-ish clients, um, people who are either like new to weightlifting or even have a lot of like lifting experience but haven't like actually worked with like a strength-oriented trainer or strength and conditioning coach. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody thinks that their warm-up sets have to be like um, whatever the working sets are. So just all the way up. So like if your top sets are, you know, sets of 10, you know, they'll just do sets of 10. Right. All the way up. It's like, oh, no, that's probably should almost never be the case. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, because, uh, yeah, my whole thing with like with warmups is you're always, you're always just thinking about reverse engineering the set that comes after. So, I mean, if you think about the very last rep of the last set that you want to do on any given exercise. It's important to like take that as your end goal. It's one of the seven habits of highly effective people. Begin with the end in mind. Mm. Right? So begin with the end in mind. How do you want that last set to go? Specifically, how do you want that last rep of that last set to go? Mm. And then reverse engineer that. So what is so how, how, how does that bode for the set that comes before and the set that comes before that and before that? And then, you know, so then you think like, okay, well then going all the way back to your very first working set, how do you want that very first working set to feel? Hmm. Okay. Well then how does, so then what does that mean for your last warm up set? And so then it's like, well then how are you ramping up to that last warm up set that, transitions you into your first working set hmm. so to speak and that could be something that like actually changes on the fly so it's not like you you know you don't have to like write it down and stick to a certain warm-up protocol um, over the course of time you can kind of feel that out but the most common mistake 
is usually people, you know, blowing their gasket on the warmups hmm. just because it's the first bit of, you know, work that people are actually feeling. So it's like, oh, let me, you know, let me go hardcore on this. It's like, no, no, that's, that's not the point. The point is, is how is this warm-up set setting you up for the next one? Right. And the next one and the next one. Um, I think it's the, uh, you know, another way of looking at that same, that same quote, um, to borrow from Dan John, who has said, it's not where you start, it's where you end up. Mm. So again, going all the way back to what is the point of your training in general, specifically, what is the point of your training on a specific session? And then what is the point of this particular exercise in this particular workout? And so you can kind of see how you take this whole idea of like reverse engineering and it can kind of give you a different perspective for how you're approaching each exercise and each repetition. Hmm. But I mean, that's kind of a long way to say that. Yeah. I mean, just in general, um, we could probably all stand to do fewer reps in our warmups, but give them more focus and attention. Yeah. Yeah. One, well, two, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's also just more time efficient. Mm -hmm. It's easier to recover from an easy double than it is from a medium 10. Right. So I would rather just do a double and be feeling pretty good. Like, okay. Now I just need 30 seconds, I'm going to add 10s, I'm going to go again. As opposed to like ripping 8 or 10, I'm like, need a couple minutes before I can go back in there. Yep. So it's yeah. more time efficient, it's more energy resource efficient. So you can really dial in technique because you're not, you know, flying too close to the sun or whatever. So just be crisp with it. That's something you could put on the back of a shirt. Be crisp with it. For either potato chips or lifting, or both, or or Bud Light, little, little crispy boy. Oh. I have been tempted to go back and get another beer in this podcast, but we're forty-two minutes in. I say, and just in case anybody's curious, never once have we done a podcast with Bud Light. Oh, that's true. We haven't done that. We haven't Te gotten that crispy. I was gonna say, like technically, this is like the slumming, like slummiest slumming we've done in a while, in a long time. Yeah, yeah. With some Yingling, it's not bad. It's good. It's easy sipping beer. Anyway, all right. On to the next thing. Push-ups. Push-ups and pull-ups. Push-ups and pull-ups. If we can, if we could tackle push-ups today, maybe oh. we could save pull-ups for. We could, if you want to save pull-ups, I am gonna get another one. Do you want another one? I'm good. Okay, I'm gonna get another one, but I am gonna stay on the podcast because you have that fancy wireless microphone. Well, look at me walking over to the mini fridge. You mini could fridge. saunter all the way to the kitchen and back. You know what? We could even go without well, losing signal. Assuming we could figure out how to use the laptop while you were on the like on the move, we could go for a walk and do the podcast. We talked about this actually. Yeah, yeah, no, we definitely could. 
But we'd have to figure out, you'd have to have like your laptop all open and stuff. And There's probably a way that we could record just the audio onto my phone. Well, we'll figure that out. Yeah. One of these days, maybe we'll do that. But then we'll be breathing heavy. That might be a little odd. Well, we can figure it out. We're we'll, like we'll, huffing and puffing. Maybe. It depends on how hilly we like it is. I'll be honest. It's hard for me to walk and talk on the phone at the same time. Isn't that like a good RPE to be at then? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that, what that says about my cardiovascular health. Um, I'd like to think I'm in pretty good shape. But like when I'm walking and I'm talking, I feel like I just don't breathe. That's what they say. Well. For like walking intensity, I think, if I remember right, like. A decent pace is where you can still hold a conversation, but have difficulty holding a conversation while walking. That right. would be a decent pace. If you can have like a like full on, full blown conversation, you're probably kind of sauntering, like I just did. Mm. Yeah, if you're trying to get some like cardiovascular benefit, your speech should be labored, which is not good for a podcast. Right. What if we just post it up at gym five with your laptop on the like treadmill? Possibly. Honestly. All right, we'll think about it. They'll probably kick us out for some weird reason. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. Okay, moving okay. on Moving to on. push-ups. Push-ups. I think we can do push-ups and pull-ups, unless you want to save one. Okay. Push-ups um, and pull-ups. Mine's really easy. I have a really easy... Well, it's... I want you to go first, but mine, okay. because mine's super easy. I have the convenience. I think, I think push-ups are a lot more straightforward than pull-ups. So I think I think push-ups are are decently simple. Um, my take would be find an elevation. So do elevated push-ups. Mm-hmm. Find an elevation where you can do eight to ten pretty strict full range of motion push-ups. Okay. So maybe that's a high countertop. Maybe that's a coffee table. Maybe that's a couch or a chair. Maybe it's just off the wall. But I think push-ups are just one of those funny exercises to where like you could literally just do the same technique from an elevation and the only thing that changes is the leverage and the angle. As you get closer and closer down to the floor, you know, then maybe you just you're doing push-ups off of a step or a couple plates and before you know it, you're doing push-ups off the ground. But I think the upper body push, like pattern in general, um, I think benefits greatly from moderate to high volume. So that's why I say like sets of 10. You really just wanna condition the wrists, the elbows, the shoulders. You wanna condition that connective tissue. You wanna condition the um, like the work capacity of all those muscles, your triceps, your front delts, um, you know, training the endurance of your core, because mm-hmm. obviously you want to be cueing like some good tight, you know, abdominal pressure. Um, because what is the push up if not a moving plank? Mm-hmm. Right? So um, I've taken more than a few clients through that very basic sequence progression just finding whatever elevation they can put their hands on or like a smith machine if you're in a gym as a smith rack that's a great way to do it 
because you can actually uh, wrap your fingers around a bar mm -hmm. to actually get that good grip. That tends to like really, really help. So find an elevation where you can just knock out 10. And once that becomes super easy, you just start bringing it down. And obviously like you can like wave, wave the pattern, start low. As you get tired, increase the elevation and just put in the time, you know, at least two or three workouts a week. We'll say at least two, um, where you're like really practicing, uh, the push up in that way. And in due time, you'll get down to the floor. But you learn all the skills and you develop all the strength along the way. I like that. I don't really have anything to add. Wow. I, um, I do like the push-up in this, in this specific conversation because um, you can use like surfaces around your own home. So it's free. Like the push-up is, I call it like a free exercise. Like you don't need a lot of fancy equipment to do it. You don't need a certification to do it. You don't a need a certification to do a push-up. So, you know, whether that's off a counter or off, you know, the edge of your couch or off of a, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, whatever surface you can find to like work on that technique. The only thing that I would expand on, I like the idea of the volume. Like, let's say three sets of 10, like 30 reps. But depending on what your abilities are, you might not be able to get 10 at a time. But to flip it around, like we were talking about earlier, like six sets of five. However you want to get 30. You know mm -hmm. what? That look good, feel good. Not like grinders. Not like, you know, arms are shaking, you're getting all over the place. Just like clean, a, a clean, crisp five. Rest as needed and try to match that. Try to get another five or whatever. And mm -hmm. just work on technique and practice or whatever. And to your point, you'll get down to the floor. What I was going to say is at my gym, I can set the bar on the squat rack at like inch intervals for like a long time. Like I can, I can modulate people's pushups like to the inch. So if they're struggling, I can bring them up a couple notches and let them grip and rip after that. The only other one that I do, and it's only because my gym allows me to do this, um, band assisted pushups. So I tie a, like a half inch super band around my pull up bar and then they pull the band around their waist and then they do a push-up in my squat rack. The band helps them more when they're closer to the floor, right? Um, I don't love that for long-term push-up development, but it does force them to kind of get in the groove off the ground or with the, the floor as like a metric or whatever you want to call it, the body position, whatever. whatever. I do like that. Um, and I also do have a, um, it's not, it's technically a yoga block, but not technically a yoga block that they can work on depth. So like if I think mm -hmm. they're, they're shortchanging depth, even with the band, I can move my yoga block and have them tap, like touch the yoga block. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, cool. but that requires equipment, a squat rack, super band and a yoga block. That's why I like your version better. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I've done a few assisted, like band assisted push-ups. I think like for clapping push-ups, I think in my own training. 
uh, for one reason or another. Well, be Probably. like speed training, right? I think so. Like, like a conjugate style or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, conjugate. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, push-ups are one. Push-ups are an underrated exercise. I agree. Underrated. Um, difficult to scale once you're pretty good at it, but Leah, who's probably going to listen to this podcast, can do reps with a 45-pound plate on her back. Hot damn. Yeah, and depth. So, like, you know, we're not doing, like, like half push-ups. We're doing, like, full push-ups with a 45-pound plate on her back. All right. Yeah, she, she slays. No doubt. So. So, not to go off on a little tangent there, but, um... Specifically, the question was how to uh, train specifically um, a woman to do push-ups. Now, of course, I would say it doesn't really matter. I would agree. Guy, gal, anything in between. But the question was specific to women. It's like, it's the same progression. Now, what I will say, in general and based on my own experience... What I have seen a lot of is uh, something that I politically incorrectly refer to as squirrely girl syndrome. Squirrely girl syndrome is when things start getting, uh, like when fatigue starts getting in, Mm -hmm. things start getting really, really tough, and uh, things start squirming around. Oh. I know what you're talking about. It's certainly not exclusive to women. Yeah. However, um, in general, I've seen that uh, I've seen that a lot of guys will stiffen up and just fail on a rep more often than not. Whereas, like women might, squ- I'm shifting my shoulders here, squirm their way into the next rep. Mm. And you see that a lot in like push-ups. Um, so what I would say is the biggest thing in that regard is to um, adopt this uh, this mentality where, especially in push-ups, you don't lose the plank. Like the plank is the most important part. So you right. don't lose your hip position. You don't crane your neck. You don't flare elbows. You don't do any of this, uh, what you might consider like inefficient shifting of, uh, shifting of the body weight around or losing joint position. So yeah, we're not break dancing. Yeah. We're not break dancing. Uh, I don't know. Break dancing might actually be a really good workout. I'm sure it's a great workout. I mean, I told you I use dancing as a warm up sometimes. Yeah. So that's just something that I would offer is just beware of, uh, beware of being a squirrely lifter. I think this goes back to, you know, it's just, um, those are just energy leaks. Your body's just the path of least resistance. So your body's throwing this and that around. That's what that squirrely is doing. So I would find an alternative, like your hands go to a higher elevation or like we did what we said, which is instead of trying to get 10, if 7, 8, 9, and 10 look, you know, squirrely, stop at 5. Yeah. And then rest as needed and do another crisp five. So it's just load management and, you know, whatever. 
at that point. Yeah. If you're squirreling around, it's just bad load management. That's so it. We just need to modify. That's it. Yeah. It's like anything. If your squat looks squirrely, your deadlift looks squirrely, your bench looks squirrely. Maybe we just outkicked our coverage on load and we just need to lighten it up or uh, put you in a more advantageous position. I can get behind that any day of the weekend. <laughs> we got time. That's one thing I'm trying to remember personally and when I coach. When things are like going not like not not bad, but not great, great. I'm like, we have time. One of my clients today who's been with me forever. She's been with me for at least, I think we're on eight, eight years now. And her max deadlift, I think, all time is like 165. She's a very petite woman. Her max deadlift, I think, is 165. And today she pulled 125 for an easy five. And even she said, she was like, well, I think I could have done eight, but five felt good. And I was like, that is perfect for me. I, that's great. She's also in her early 60s. So, like, what are we trying to do here? Like, like are we com- if we're competing on the platform, I would maybe have a different perspective, but we're not. She's just trying to stay healthy. So I'm like, okay, if 125 for five felt good and you feel good about it, that is good enough for me. If eight years from now, 125 for five still feels good, that's saying something. Right. Yeah. Right. What, like, what, like, what are we racing? What's the race? Where are we going? We have time. Look good, feel good. Add a little load. When, like, when, like when you feel great, come in. We'll do it. But if you just want to move and feel good, fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. We're not racing here. It's not a race. It's, it's lifting. Right. It's, it's a grind. It's, really, it's, a, it's grind. It's grinding. It ain't racing. Right. Grinding. It's a slog. We're tortoises over here. We're sloths and tortoises. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to name the podcast that. Sloths and tortoises. <clears throat> All right. All right, Andy I, Van. Let's, let's, save, let's save pull-ups for, for next episode. As long as we actually do save it and don't just forget all like altogether. Oh, we will not forget it. We're going to listen back to this podcast and be reminded. Oh, uh, yeah. And we're, I'm going to listen to this part of this, this podcast and be like... Okay. okay. Yeah. We'll talk uh, about pull-ups. Jinx, show me a beer. beer. Did you just try to... <laughs> hey, this has been the A to Z show. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>